Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. I just want you to know I'm, I'm extremely dedicated to this podcast to the point that I turned off my air conditioner to get the, the silence that we need. So I am sitting here in my apartment on a four degree Celsius day. Um, I'll praise the blood god, I suppose. How are you not dead is what I'm know. wondering. <laughs> I don't know. I, I am soldiering on. As, and as 2020 has taught many of us, uh, we can shoulder a lot of hardship, or in many cases, we have no choice but to shoulder the hardship. And the choices are keep on keeping on or collapse into a puddle. And so far, I'm not at the puddle stage, and I am thankful for that. I haven't had to deal with weather, but 2020 has been definitely kicking my butt in more ways than one. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, it's a cursed year. Very it really cursed. Is. Yeah, but this podcast is not cursed. I don't know if that was a good segue or not. (laughs) This is a very clean and holy podcast. Uh, This week, we're going to be talking about CrossCodes, which is now out on console. It's been in development for quite a long time, and we're going to have our staff writer, Hearing Cryer, on to talk about why you should be paying attention to this cool new indie RPG. Also, we're going to be talking about Paper Mario Impressions, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Pokemon, because I've been playing it. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you enjoy the podcast, can I recommend that you give us a review over on iTunes? People have been saying very nice things about this podcast lately, and we greatly appreciate it. You can also follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. And also at all of our social media feeds at USGamerNet. We have another podcast. It's called Branching Narratives with Jeff Green. And we have a different and interesting person from the games industry on this week. This week we had Khalif Adams on. Khalif is a friend of mine. Khalif is a really interesting dude. He hosts the Spawn on Me podcast. And he tells stories about, for example, being raised by his grandmother and discovering video games through her. And his like persistent attempts to break into the games industry while also working all kinds of weird, odd jobs. Like... Apparently, he was that person who would serve people, uh, like, their paper, divorce papers and things like that. And how dangerous a job that was. Wow. I would, I would, that, that's the kind of job that just toughens you up. That's the job that makes you see everything. I thought I had, like, a, a really weird and varied job history, but that's, uh, that's something else. I've never touched that. But he has kind of built up spot, the Spawn on Me podcasting and streaming and everything, brick by brick. I've. I'm very impressed by it, so you should go check all of that. You should go check out Branching Narratives. We also have a podcast that comes out, or sorry, a newsletter that comes out every single Wednesday. It's called, well, the Acts of the Blood God newsletter. And you can (laughs) go and subscribe to it on the top of the US Gamer website. Uh, Nadia, what's the topic of the newsletter this week? Well, since last week was uh, the 20th anniversary of Final Fantasy IX, which I believe we talked about a little bit last week, I thought I'd talk just a little bit about what I thought was the the thing that Final Fantasy IX does best. And there are a lot of things that Final Fantasy IX does really well, as we have discussed and as Katie has written uh, recently for US Gamer. But the, my favorite thing about Final Fantasy IX that trumps pretty much everything else in the series is I think it has the best character theme with Beatrix and Rose of May. I just think that's a really simple, gorgeous character theme that's so easily associated with the character and really speaks to, to who she is and that conflict that, you know, that kind of boils inside of her because she's supposed to be loyal to the Empire and they're a bunch of jerks. So 
another interesting thing I pointed out about that theme is it really sounds quite similar and has the same mood, almost the same tone as Celeste's theme in Final Fantasy VI, who is pretty much a mirror of Beatrix in that she's a general with this evil empire and she has to struggle with uh, switching to the other side. So, uh, yeah, I just thought that was one thing that Final Fantasy IX does really well. I thought I'd highlight it in a newsletter because why the heck not? Final Fantasy IX has a pretty good soundtrack. It does. Um, it's not my absolute number one favorite beyond that theme, but it does have some really, really great songs. I think it has a really great overworld theme with uh, Melodies of Life. That's a really nice theme. I think its single strongest point is that it's probably the best written game in the series. That's an interesting take. I don't know if I'd call it the best written game in the series. Isn't The story, I enjoyed it, but it didn't really stick with me the way that uh, 6 does, or even 4, because 4 was so simple and fun to read when you were a kid. And of course, 14 has a fantastic story. But 6 never gets into the realm of existential dread that Vivi ends up exploring. And Steiner is just a wonderful, comical, farcical character who nevertheless has a, gr- a deep sense of pathos about him. Uh, Garnett is... I mean, she's not an amazing character, but she's fun, at least, in the... Yeah the princess who cuts her hair kind of uh, way. It feels so Final Fantasy in so many ways. It has a sense of humor to it. Like, it really carries off its humor in a way that almost no other game in the series really does. Yeah, and I think that's it's, exemplified in the sword fight at the beginning of the game, right? Yeah, it's I just a that's funny right. game. Like the the little asides that happen uh, throughout, where you can go into little scenes where like, whoa, what's what are these people up to? What's Tyner yeah. doing? It's a funny game. It definitely, it is definitely um, a very a very humorous game, very light hearted game. It, not to say it doesn't have its heavy moments. You mentioned Vivi, of course. Uh, I mean, all of Final Fantasy VI is existential dread. Like, people trying to find a life in this ruined world that Kefka is, like, threatening to just wipe off the map at any moment. You have a lot of characters who have to grow up and come to terms with what they are and who they are. But it's definitely a lot heavier and a lot darker than Final Fantasy IX, which it does have a very good balance of themes and humor and and drama. Uh, I think the town of Bermesia, when you enter it for the first time, it just has that perpetual rainstorm. That's one of my another theme in the game that I absolutely adore. It's one of my favorite locales in a, in, a, in an RPG. And then uh, what's his name? Kuja shows up with his with his fancy silver dragon. Like, oh, look at me flipping my hair. It's a it's a fun it's a fun game with a lot of fun characters. I never liked Kuja that much. I was never a huge fan. I just liked how goofy he was and his stupid dragon. I I liked making fun of him. He's fun to dunk on. And I think there's Sephiroth like light. He is totally Sephiroth. He's almost like a parody of Sephiroth in a way. Like, really is. Square is like, oh, you think you thought Sephiroth was fancy and full of himself? Well, get a load of this. I really liked Freya. I think she's my okay. She's not as good as Kane, but Kane's the number one, of course. And ultimately, her story is kind of dumb. But I like her. I like her character design. Gosh darn it! Yeah, I really like Freya. She's one of my favorite dragoons. Um, behind Why do we have a rat as a dragoon? I exactly, don't know. it's perfect. Well, th- it's just a rat to dragoon. Why not? I, I like it. <laughs> I, I'm very much into it. I like rats. I like anthropomorphic rats, and uh, I like dragoons. It, it all works out. And she's left-handed in the proper manner of a dragoon. It's very Redwall, I gotta say. It's extremely. Can you imagine a Redwall with, with like mice dragoons? I'd I'd read that in two seconds. Uh, just give me that Redwall RPG, Nadia. Yeah, come on. <laughs> let's get let's get this shit done already. Yeah. Oh, we should just make it. Red Wall, my God. 
I'd want to play the, the, the badger. The rights can't be that expensive these days, right? Nah, nah, I'm sure. Let's just make it. Who needs rights? Well, what's what's Brian Jake's gonna do? Sue us? Oh, from beyond the grave. Sue us from beyond the grave. Rest in peace, Brian Jake's. All the respect. I don't know. We we do miss you absolutely. But uh, if you want to hear more about Final Fantasy Nine, I, I made Nadia play it some years ago for the podcast. Yeah, that was that was kind of fun. Um, yeah, I think so, that was a maybe 2017, 20, 2018 podcast. It was twenty eighteen. I, I looked yeah. it up. It was the Final Fantasy Nine report. I also wrote accompanying uh, paragraphs with the with the playthrough. And yeah, generally, I really enjoy Final Fantasy Nine. And even though I played it for the first time in two thousand eighteen, my only complaint was that it is way too slow. And thankfully, the fast forward function takes care of that if you play on like the Switch or one of the newer systems. All right, so go check out that. Go check out our write-up about Final Fantasy IX's anniversary and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter, which comes out every single week. In the meantime, Nadia, I've been playing uh, another game, and that's Pokemon Sword. I'm back in. I'm officially hooked on Pokemon again. Pokemon Sword and Shield, just the way it's set up, has really has a way of hooking you in because you can see those Pokemon and you're like, I'm going to chase that Pokemon. I'm going to catch it. And I'm going to catch it. <laughs> going to catch it all. all. And of course, they have Pokemon show up at different times of the day, different weather. Are you playing the, the extensions, the expansions? I am. I have the Isle of Armor expansion, which is what ultimately got me back into it, actually. No, Cub Fu is so cute. Cub Fu is very cute. And I did not realize that as of the expansion, you can have Pokemon following you around. Yes, you can. I, mean, I might have mentioned that in my uh, write-up, but you absolutely can. Sometimes they have trouble keeping up. Like, there was someone who <laughs> someone a video of someone with their poor Slowpoke, and they're running around, the Slowpoke's just like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do. It was really cute. <laughs> I have a Jolteon that kept getting caught on a bridge. <laughs> Maybe he likes that bridge. Maybe he wants to live on the bridge. Getting caught on the level geometry. but Classic. I, I finished the main story, and I did Hop's uh, little adventure with the people with the weird hair. <laughs> That's great. I, I gotta say, Hop's it. my favorite rival now. Uh, one of the most powerful rivals. And yeah. we we, ra- we ranked all the rivals. Blue came in number three. Hop came in number one. Just Hop, I like Hop. I really like Hop. I don't know if people were mad about us giving Hop number one, but I feel like he has probably the most development of any rival. He, we have talked about in the past how he is actually quite relatable, and you see his frustration quite clearly. Like he just kind of gets really frustrated and turns away and puts on that you know brave face, and you really do feel for him because obviously Pokemon training isn't for everyone. And sorry, Hop, you're good in your own way, but you're not Pokemon trainer material, I guess. What really got me back into it, though, was realizing how easy it is to train Pokemon now. Because yes, definitely. they have so many tools at your disposal where you can basically customize your Pokemon at will. So I was like, wait a minute, you can change their personalities. Mm-hmm. And you can basically, even if they already exist, you can manually buff their base stats. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Well, I'm going to do that. But... It, uh, so I've already started doing that. I raised a Corviknight, which is nice. this... I love Corviknight. This big black bird. Um, I, I named it Virgil, which is kind of a double reference. It's a reference to Virgil van Dyke, who is the defender for Liverpool, because <laughs> he's a very bulky bird. And he's very defensive. And yes. to one of the characters from the 
the nineties animated show Mighty Max. So, oh, you liked Mighty Max? Oh, I loved Mighty Max. It was There's a, great a show. you'd be surprised. There's actually on Tumblr quite a Mighty Max fandom because I didn't watch it, but apparently it was a really good show with a really good story. Yeah, I talked about it on what the What a Cartoon podcast. It oh, is cool. It is a surprisingly deep serialized cartoon where they really don't pull any punches. Characters die and things. It's it's intense. That's pretty cool for a, what was basically a Polly Pocket for boys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what it was, literally. But uh, Virgil is a giant chicken, so. <laughs> I think I named my Corvinite Flag. Flag? Why is that? Flag oh, from. Oh, Randall the, Flag. Randall Flag from the stand. He was I got a, it. one of his. Yeah, it's Raven. Yeah, nice. I And I also raised a, um, a Surfetched. Oh, yeah, those are, those are like the cool little smug ducks. I like them. It's really a pain to evolve those things, though, because it is. you have to get three critical hits in a row. So I had to give it a leak and use focus energy and all of these other things just to make sure that I would get enough critical hits so the thing would actually evolve. And thankfully, I was able to do it. Is it a, does it have good stats and everything? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really easy to breed top-level stats. And it helps that I have dittos with perfect stats uh my oh. previous copies uh from like, pokemon <laughs> sun so i was i've been bringing them in and just like very quickly and the nice thing is if you have enough money you can just spend all your money to ev train monsters yes which thank god so i just i don't like the repetitive grinding the only thing is that there is still a heavy grinding element because i've been spending a lot of time in the the battle tower Mm-hmm. Um, I ran through the the tournament. I do like the tournament. I was a little sad that it didn't have a proper elite four anymore. But I kind of like the idea of fighting randomized trainers and not fighting the same thing over and over again while while yeah. grinding. Yeah, it keeps you on your toes, definitely. But I am in the process of trying to build a three Pokemon uh, singles ranked team so that I can play some of the ranked battles. Uh, it would be fun. Oh, good for you. Are you playing any of the raids? I, I have played the raids. I think the raids are one of the weakest elements of the game, actually. I find I have trouble sometimes just kind of connecting and finding a good team. I've found that I can just do the raids without other people, so I do. Yeah, and they give you kind of these randos that uh, like little kids with, with like Starmies or something. I have a lot of pretty powerful Pokemon from previous games, so I just Yes, you them. do. <laughs> you just import them all. Welcome to Gala Region. Get your rabies shot and you're good. I've been using uh, my Volcarana from Pokemon Black and White, and wow. it can it can kind of wreck face um, in a lot of instances. It's very <laughs> powerful. It's been my my standard bearer in the Battle Tower. I've been beating Leon over and over again. He's like, God, I'm going to get you this time. Oh, no, I didn't get you oh, this time. Oh, my Charizard sucks. Oh, no, his Charizard's like, quite powerful, especially when I it's like in it. its Gigantamax form or whatever. That's pretty but. cool when it happens. Yeah, I like his uh, I like his get-up for his champion get-up. He has like the... Does he have the cape? I can't remember what he's wearing, but he looks very he looks very gallant. Yes, he really does. But then he's wearing a hat for some reason he's when he's in a Challenger. For a, he's, <laughs> he's wearing he's his like, baseball cap. Surprise, it's me. He's like, yeah, I, I know it's you, Leon. Surprise. Right, I recognize that hat anywhere. Playing through the Isle of Armor DLC, it's obvious that they've taken into account a lot of the criticisms about the wild areas being kind of ugly and have really worked to make it much more visually appealing with lots of seamless kind of environments to explore uh, I, I think that it is very a very strong expansion in general yeah and i am looking forward very much to crown tundra because i don't know if you have heard about the leaks but uh there are people who have been data mining 
and they found out that Crown Tundra is actually looks like it's even like much bigger than uh, what we got with uh, Isle of uh, Armor. So, and I also feel like watching the previews for the expansion that Isle, uh, sorry, um, Crown Tundra is a little more story focused. It has to do with like the Gigantamax Pokemon and where they came from and etc. So I, I'm just kind of looking forward to that. And hey, Snow. I just hope that they have instances where I can use max level Pokemon in the story. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I know that they don't. I know they don't want to put people in a situation where they can't play. Maybe they should just have trainers max the level, match the level of Pokemon that you're using. That would be pretty cool. Uh, that would actually solve a lot of problems. Although there is one thing thinking about it that I really liked about the uh, post game content. And that was, I loved cat, I loved looking and uh, finding the rare cards. And mm. I actually wrote a thing about that on US Gamer about how Pokemon Sword and Shield don't have much story in your face the way that Sun and Moon did. But if you read those cards and look at the pictures, you, you get like a lot of story filled in, especially if you link up the two games because you know how you have Gord in, uh, you fight Gord in Sword and you fight. Uh, what's her name? Melanie in Shield, and they're f- mother and son. And if you look at the picture, the card that Melanie gives you, the rare card, you see her and and Gord, and she's trying to like be like you know all cuddly and, and motherly with Gord, and Gord just has this grimace on his face that looks like he wants to get away. <laughs> so they they really don't get along. But apparently, Melanie is still Gord's number one fan if they don't talk to each other. My favorite is Opal. The old uh, fairy <laughs> lady who forcibly adopts BB. And uh, BB is like such a jerk until he comes under his her, her care. Like she he obviously need, needed that structure and that, mm-hmm. you know, kind of motherly discipline. But he I like Opal's rare card, I think, was just like her sitting there and, and BB standing at attention to like waiting for orders. So I understand some of the complaints. I, I think the max raids are a little bit boring. Mm-hmm. I think the, the, the performance of the wild area is not great can be a little ugly at times. I get why people are really frustrated about the national deck situation. It's, it is what it is, honestly. Um, yeah. I do kind of like the idea of the evolving metagame of when they bring old uh, previous Pokemon back, like it changes up how people are playing and how things are going. It, it's kind of a blessing in disguise in some ways. But mm-hmm. I will say, as somebody who's been playing Pokemon since the literally the very beginning, has been there through every single generation, this is the most engaged I've been in Pokemon in quite a long time. Because it feels like there's a lot to do in a way that previous games just didn't have. Just in the way that they have the randomized tournaments, in the way that they have been introducing stuff like the Isle of Armor and now the upcoming Crown Tundra DLC... The fact that you have kind of these daily events with the max raids and such. I think that it is really enjoyable. Like one of the reasons that. So Pokemon Sun and Moon. I I broadly liked those games. But I also bounced off them harder than Mm. I have. Like almost every any Pokemon didn't have feel any reason to raise Pokemon. Like I wasn't invested in the competitive battling game or anything like that. And. I feel like I have a much better reason to actually raise Pokemon. It helps that I can actually customize all of them now. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I think they've definitely worked very hard to get the post-game into something that people will want to keep on playing for ages to come. And yeah, there are still plenty of people out there playing the Max Raids, battling. You have no problem finding someone if you want to compete or wonder trade or whatever. So people are remaining engaged, and that's important. Yeah, I like the Galar region. 
I do. Even I if really it looks like, it. like a university campus in the way that <laughs> with the wild area being one giant kind of grassy mall. That's but, that's the commons. Yeah. But I really like the scenery. Uh, like it can be really pretty in mm-hmm. a lot of respects. So it's a visually appealing game when you're not in the wild area. Exactly. Like when you're not in the wild area and you start to notice like all the unique animations, all the unique sort of settings uh, in the towns. All the towns look very unique and cool. So it's just mainly the wild area that's a problem. And as we discussed, the wild area in uh, in Isle of Armor is already an improvement over what they had for uh, the main game. Yeah, it gets me a lot of hope for the future of Pokemon. I, I've seen some really stupid YouTube videos recently, like the downfall of Pokemon or uh, Pokemon yeah, the no one... longer an RPG. And I'm like, oh, Give me a How break, many millions but... did this sell? Like, I think it's the best-selling Pokemon ever. <laughs> yeah, it's the end. Whoop. It gives me a lot of hope for the next generation because this is kind of a thing with Game Freak where they will have a very rough transition onto a new platform as they're getting to grips with the, the technology and what they can do with it. And then invariably, the next version ends up being much stronger. For example, yeah. going from Diamond and Pearl to Black and White, much more polished. Uh from X and Y to Sun and Moon, much more polished. I strongly feel that Gen 9, it's, it's going to have a national dex. I, I think that's going to be the case. I don't think this is going to be a lasting thing. And I think that it's just from the graphics to the systems, it's going to be far more polished than this one. And people are going to really like it. So, Do you think it's going to be on the Switch or do you think it's going to be on the successor to the Switch? Oh, it'll definitely be on Switch. Yeah. yeah, they always kind of stick around for a long time. I don't think it'll be next year, but uh, maybe next year, maybe the year after that, something like that. I think we'll he- at least hear something by uh, next year, like the end of next year, maybe. I'll be surprised if they end up making uh, the Diamond and Pearl remakes, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, definitely. Okay, uh, that's enough Pokemon talk for the time being. <laughs> that's enough Pokemon. It's, ha- it's held a lot of my attention lately, so I might bring it up a time or two in this podcast. Sure, why not? You you've been playing po- Paper Mario, the Origami King. Yes. Uh, uh, predictably, the discourse around this game has been a little toxic, I want to say. Uh, it's slightly toxic. It's definitely very national dexy, but on a, a lesser scale because Paper Mario doesn't command the same audience, obviously. What the impression that I get is that people are basically going, I want Thousand Year Door, but this is a Thousand Year Door. I'm grumpy now. That is basically it right there. It is not Thousand Year Door. It has some elements that make it a little more like Thousand Year Door, definitely a little more RPG-ish, but it's not your sequel to Thousand Year Door, which is, was released in 2004, and <laughs> we should all just kind of move on and appreciate Paper Mario for what it is. If they ever come back and give us a Thousand Year Door 2, hey, great, I'll play it, I'll love it. Uh, if they want to give us a release of a Thousand Year Door on the Switch, hell yeah, that should that should have happened a long time ago. I'll take it. For now, though, I'm not going to sit here and be like, ooh, Paper Mario Origami King sucks, because it doesn't. It's a very fun game. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, it's I find it is an improvement over, a big improvement over Sticker Star. I didn't play much of Color Splash, so I can't count, comment too much on that. But it is what it is, and it's obvious what they wanted to do with it, and they went ahead, and they did it, and... If you absolutely cannot abide by a Paper Mario game that has no experience and no, like, controllable companions and et cetera, et cetera, I understand. Just, there are, there are plenty of games out there that will give you what you want, but 
this is not it, I suppose. And if you gotta bounce, you gotta bounce. Just don't go around saying, oh, Nintendo doesn't listen to us. Nintendo doesn't like us. Nintendo's lazy, because that's just not true. It's it, it, it's just a, a good game on its own, and I really enjoy it. As an RPG fan, I, I've seen some arguments that like resonate with me, in that there are plenty of people who are like, yeah, it's being positioned as an RPG, but it, it's not really... And I wish that it would get back to having much stronger RPG elements. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing a return to the... That's why it's so conflicting, because yes, I would not mind seeing a return to the RPG elements. That Thousand Year Door, I love. But at the same time, Nintendo turns around and says, well, this is what we're doing. And I like what they're doing as a separate kind of experience. Then I'm not going to trash it for not being exactly the game that I played in 2004. Yeah, but the game that they produced just doesn't interest me that much. Which is fine. You kind of move on and get on with your life instead of yelling across Twitter. <laughs> no, it's true. I'm just not going to play the game. <laughs> right, and that's fine. You don't have to play the game. It's Paper Mario. Like the way I hear, but it's I okay hear... to criticize it. You know, sure. If you want to criticize kind of going it, in a direction of being kind of shallow, right? It's okay yeah, to it... be like it's not that interesting or that good. No, I mean I wouldn't say oh it's not interesting or good because I like it. Paper Mario in the action sort of the action heavy versions still has lots of fans. I'm one of them. But the, the battle system, like Jeff Grubb was tweeting about this. He was like, kind of going, yeah, it's really simple just to line up your enemies, like fairly one-dimensional. Like maybe the only reason to play this game is for the kind of cutesy presentation of the characters being little paper things. And I know. It I think... feels like Paper Mario is a C-tier Nintendo franchise at this point. No, I don't think so. I, don't, I didn't agree with Jeff Grubb's assessment either. Uh, uh-huh. He was saying that when you line up the enemies you can beat them all in one hit which isn't true it's certainly not true later in the game uh that's why they kind of give you stronger items to use which are expendable but they they break basically it's it's animal crossing kind of where you use it a few times and it breaks but you can get them you can buy them you can find them toads will throw them to you i mentioned in my uh preview i love how you just kind of throw coins at toads and they they can they won't solve the entire puzzle for you but they will kind of give you a hint to, to let you know where you need to go they might also throw those items at you, the, the fancier hammers, the fancier shoes. They might restore your health. Um, but yeah, there's it's definitely not like, oh, line them up and, and they're done in one shot because that's, that's not the case. And the bosses are definitely a lot more complicated than that. All right. If you were to pitch me on getting this game, what would you tell me? Well, I wouldn't tell you anything because you're not interested in it. You're clearly not interested in it. I, I mean, convince me. Sell me on this game. It's uh, it's cute. It's funny. It's clever. It looks good. It looks really good. Um, oh, and one thing that kind of I think a lot of previews failed to mention is that you can you don't have to engage with enemies that are weaker than you. You can just hit them with your hammer, or or you can run them over with your car because you have a car. You have a little boot car. <laughs> so it's just a, a a fun. It's not really open world, but it is a lot less structured than previous Paper Mario games. So. Uh, you're free to, to wander more than you did in the past. Like, you actually have fast travel. Actually, it's called fax travel. Mario literally faxes himself. Oh, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's not the deep RPG experience a lot of people want out of Paper Mario these days. And it's that doesn't really invalidate it as a fun game on its own, though. Okay. Well, we're going to review it in full next week. You should go read Nadia's hands-on preview of the final review version on the site in which she says that Paper Mario the Origami King isn't Thousand Year Door, doesn't want to be Thousand Year Door, and that's fine. (laughs) That's okay. Everyone has to be what they want to be. 
and maybe Paper Mario will never kind of rise to the level of being Thousand Year Door. But at the same time, Paper Mario has always been that kind of quirky, experimental, humorous uh, Nintendo just screwing around and having fun series. It it's really never has. exactly been on the level of a, you know, a Zelda or whatever. No, definitely not. And you're right in that Nintendo kind of uses that that franchise to screw around. The only two real RPGs entries in that series were the first one, which was okay, and the second one, which was excellent. I was not a fan of Super Paper Mario. Um, a lot of people give Miyamoto crap because Miyamoto said, why do we need story in Paper Mario? Let's take it out. And he took it out of uh, Sticker Star, which a lot of people resent. They still bring that point up when they say Miyamoto should retire, even though he is kind of half-retired. But people kind of forget that Super Paper Mario was very, very chatty, and he couldn't skip a lot of the dialogue. And that really annoyed people at the time, and it annoyed me. That was a long intro that I couldn't skip. And at one point, when the character asks you, oh, are you going to save the world? Can you save us? And I just, as a joke, said no, and it ended the game. (laughs) And I had to go through that whole intro again. I wasn't never really that happy. All right, go check out the impressions. Let's continue on to our review of CrossCode. All right, I'm here with our staff writer, Hiran Cryer, who is here to talk to us about CrossCode, which just came out on console, specifically Nintendo Switch, PS4, and Xbox One. This is a game that's been kind of a long time in coming. It first started development way back in 2012 and eventually was released in full on Steam in 2018. Uh, We've been kind of tracing its development ever since then. I mean, Bob wrote his impressions back in 2015, was very excited about it. And the final result seems to be really good. Like People really enjoy CrossCode, and that includes you, Hiran. Yeah, it is. It's kind of mind-blowing to me that we had impressions written up in this site before I was even in the industry. <laughs> I was about to say. Um, before you were about. born, Hiran. Yeah, pretty much before I was born. <laughs> cool, what time? Um, yeah, but um, this one kind of took me by surprise. I didn't know anything about it going in. Um, I thought it kind of looked like your typical old-school um, RPG um, from the you know top-down perspective, 16-bit style. Um but it's really kind of surprising in a good way. Um, it has a story where basically you're playing a game within a game. It's like Gameception. Um, and you're trying to figure out the uh, lost the lost memories of your player character while you're trying to blend into this like MMO called Cross Worlds within Cross Code. It's like it's pretty original it's not like no game has ever done this game within a game thing before like sword art online or something um Mm -hmm. but it has a really unique way of kind of telling its story and positioning itself as an mmo even though like you know it's it's not an online game it's a strictly single player kind of thing yeah it has a little bit of a dot dot hack vibe to it but better definitely (laughs) It, it takes me back to those old days of the aughts when everyone had that kind of mmo plot going on yeah, you wrote at some length over on the site, Heron, about why you really liked the kind of metatextual element of this game, or so the meta-commentary, I want to say, yep. Yep. Uh, in the way that the little joking nods toward the toward the genre and everything. You want to talk mm. a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... 
first of all, when you're like dumped in this uh, cross worlds kind of game, um, it does its best to kind of imitate MMOs, um, and it goes to re- pretty good lengths by having all these side quests being like really fetch heavy. Um, I know like Nadia can speak to this because she plays Final Fantasy fourteen as well. But the, all these mm-hmm. side quests in that game, in the early hours especially, are just like go here, do this, kill these three things, collect these five items for me, um, and cross code kind of imitates that really well almost to a fault because really it just makes the side quests like very very boring um <laughs> but um no, th- but the characters uh, will be like man those side quests are pretty boring aren't they <laughs> yeah a little lampshading yes. there yeah, yeah it's it's kind of um almost lampooning it it's just a shame that it's like it's very dull for you to play but it's kind of clever in the way it lampoons it the thing that stands out to me again about this game, okay, so a few things. Aside from its metatextual elements, of course. Um, the fact that it's an action RPG, but it doesn't seem really shallow, Nadia. Uh, yeah, it, it, apparently it's um, extremely deep. I was just reading about it myself, and uh, I was surprised to learn how many puzzles there are in this game. Like, it's a very puzzle-based game. Like, I read a comparison to Lufia from the old 16-bit era. You solve the puzzles because you're a spheromancer, and you throw balls around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's kind of um that kind of plays into the combat of it as well it's good like um it's a little bit like bullet hell combat um uh. but, it's, but it's bullet hell where you feel on the offensive instead of the defensive um so really like you, it, the combat is kind of like half just pelting your enemies repeatedly with balls um or like going up to them and whacking them in the face a few times like i think you carry like a sword or a dagger around with you um but that like ball throwing ability feeds into the puzzle where you have to kind of like reflect these balls off like the walls and different services to get them to an intended destination um, to kind of open up a door um, in that kind of any given room of like a dungeon. What is your guys' take on puzzles? I'm not the biggest fan of them, but I know a lot of people like them. I prefer combat. Like I read one, another review that kind of compares the game to Secret of Mana. But Secret of Mana is a very action heavy RPG, which is part of the reason I love it so much. You don't really stop and solve that many puzzles. Uh, I like the puzzles in, like, A Link to the Past. I think um, A Link Between Worlds had some of the best puzzles for a Zelda game ever. But I am... I I can do without beyond, like, really well-done Zelda games. Like, if you give me an action RPG and say, this has no puzzles, I'll be like, oh, cool, my heart is not broken. Well, that's not... This is not that. Um, So it's like, it kind of... There aren't too many of them, and they're just really, like, tightly really tightly packed together in just these very single instance like dungeons or like the tutorial that like there aren't overly many of them but when they hit they hit like hard mm-hmm. and there's a lot of them um but they're then they never get like really too frustrating because everything that you're given to work with the puzzle will usually be on one screen like you don't have to run off the screen to another area to see like what you have to do to get something to line up or whatever you're kind of given like all the pieces in front of you so like it's a bit frustrating that like these the tight spursing of them like uh has it has you like pausing every now and then um just to get through loads of them at once but like really they're not too difficult like on their own when i first thought of puzzle solving my brain immediately went to illusion of gaia did you ever you played that one nadia oh yeah i adore that game yeah, that game had some serious puzzles solving to it, if I recall correctly. It wasn't too bad. Like, the puzzles were, were quite, like, 
not very cerebral, let's say that. Like, they could be solved by a kindergartner. But yes, there were a lot of them, to be honest <laughs> with you. Yeah, but the dungeons in CrossCode are quite complex by contrast. It feels like they're like, okay, we really need to provide value in this game. We are going to really go all in on making it as deep and complex as possible. Nobody's going to be able to say that this game is too shallow, which, mm-hmm. hey, I applaud. Uh, I <laughs> am personally turned off a little bit by puzzles, but then again, I also played Zelda games, so I don't know. Maybe I would... It's all about the puzzle construction, I find. Like what, what, kind of puzzle, what kind of puzzle do you not like, Nadia? Anything to do with numbers. Numbers can go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that involves, like counting or or anything like that it's just no i'm out i'm done i failed math like over and over again and i i am terrified of it god i begrudgingly played the witness as well and i can kind of hated every minute of that with the puzzles <laughs> yeah that was a it's something like uh mist like could be very uh intimidating that's for sure i only get annoyed when a puzzle involves a lot of busy work um it can be really gratifying to walk into a situation and then when you find the solution and everything clicks into place, you're like, oh, that was really clever. Yeah. But when it's just a lot of move this box and do this thing and bounce the ball off the wall (laughs) 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 to make this work, you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you start to feel tired after a while. You do. You really do. I mean, if you look back at Breath of the Wild, the reason that game was so successful i feel is that its physics-based puzzles were genuinely a lot of fun to figure out except the time that you had to roll the ball around uh in the thing by using the switch gyro so stupid yes yeah otherwise there were they were actually really great puzzles and the thing with uh breath of the wild puzzles is they were not mandatory you didn't want to do something Mm -hmm. you didn't have to like screw this i'm out Yep, exactly. Oh, and also, hack hack for the um, gyro puzzles. You just take the Joy-Cons off the Switch and just wave them around in midair without the console. (laughs) (laughs) I'm solving. Yep. I loved all the people who found ways to abuse the physics systems to just fly through the air. Oh, beautiful game. (laughs) That's great. Japan is like, has champions that do that. Like, it's insane what they can do. Hiran, did you watch Sword Art Online? Are you a fan of that uh, series? Uh, God, I watched it years ago. I wouldn't even say I'm a fan. I kind of watched half of the first season where they get, they get what? They get trapped in an MMO in real life. Um, and if, and they can't take the virtual reality headsets off, I think. And they, oh, and that's it. If you die within the game, you die in real life. You die for that's real, it. of course. Yeah, you die for real. Um, God, that thing, that thing got real uh, weird real quick. Like the, protagonist ends up marrying someone and they end up raising a child together i think um that's around the kind of time i ducked out of that but yeah i'm familiar with it i've never seen one single minute of sword art online but you were comparing it to that so i was kind of curious about it yes um so with sword online one of the big uh, and like kind of westworld to a large extent like one of the big um draws of those things that you get to live like basically a second life away from your current life um and the world within Crossworlds is set is posited as being really far flung in the future, but there's none of this kind of like second life wish fulfillment in there. Like you get to live out a brand new life however you want. It's very much like a um, you are jumping into an RPG MMO, but it's very like it's very linear. There's nothing to kind of like sell you on like living in this world. Um, so I just thought that was kind of a really interesting 
way of doing a game within a game and a game that you can jump into in real life but without having like the the, the, the kind of like the wish for the the side the side stuff in there really like taking away from like the core conceit of it and the uh, rpg style we were talking about pokemon earlier today uh did i ever tell you guys my grand my grand theory of pokemon no we're all dead <laughs> no no my grand pokemon theory world? of pokemon is that it's actually westworld but for kids huh That's because all the npcs never move right yeah. they just yeah, all yeah. stand in one position the gym leaders are like, oh, no, you beat me, duh, <laughs> you 10-year-old child. <laughs> you That's move the world changes. with your 10-year-old hands. I mean, it has God. to be Westworld, right? <laughs> Yeah, the world doesn't make any sense. Then the Pokemon are all robots, and that's why you—if you get shocked or something—you don't explode into flame. No, that makes sense. That makes a lot more sense now that you've actually explained it to me. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, it's it's Westworld. So that that's that's my headcanon. Did you ever watch Westworld, Hiran? Yes, yes, I watched the uh, let's see the first season. Didn't go back for the second season. So you weren't a fan of it. Uh, it was like it was okay it was just like i don't really have the patience for these hour-long dramas that kind of like don't go anywhere for weeks you know yeah i think it was funny that everybody was watching the first season and everybody figured out the twist halfway through the first (laughs) season and then we get to the big reveal and everyone's like yeah yeah and (laughs) oh what a shock (laughs) that's a problem with like shows that in the age of the internet everyone can just kind of like gather together and make their theories like one of my favorite shows ever is gravity falls and alex hirsch the maker of the show like the whole thing's based around like you know conspiracies and supernatural and this and that and this and that and alex hirsch the maker of the show was saying how people on the reddit were just coming up with crazy freaking theories that actually came disturbingly close to where he was going with the story and he went in some wild directions for the story so people are just people are very very detail oriented and they can pick things apart they get they have the time somehow you only get into trouble when you start reading the online commentary and then start building your story around it oh yeah there's there can be a lot of problems with like people attacking authors because things don't go the way they want or whatever No, I think Lost was reading their own reviews and their own fan theories, and they were like, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> that has to happen to people these days. There's no way it doesn't. Yeah. Oh, I would be on a total blackout. If I were writing a TV show, I would be in total blackout. I would not read anything about it until after the show was over. God, that would be so you, hard you suck. <laughs> I, I, would, I just wouldn't garbage. be able to deal with it. It would be too much. Having all, but I would probably get death threats on Twitter anyway, so I it would be kind of unavailable, unavoidable, it really I suppose. Would. Yeah, but getting back to cross code, uh, one of the things that really jumps out about at me about this game is it is like so many indie games, a 2D sprite based game, which I approve of, but it is really quite pretty. Uh, I especially like the way that they use the camera and things to zoom in and out. Uh, to really make the actual attacks hit home in a way that I think is very pleasant. Yeah, they do. It's It's got a really like kind of pleasant art style. It kind of lulled me into that, um, oh, it's, it's like it's an RPG because it must have such like a nice art style to go with that kind of 2D vibe to it. But um, God, it does look really pretty. And especially when you get into like conversations with people, um, like their bigger kind of character sprites pop up at the bottom of the screen. Um, 
that's that's really nice and it it's kind of like it's nice to see from these character these characters like pop from tiny sprites to like bigger 2d character models on your screen when they're talking um like every kind of character and every main kind of character in that game is really well like developed actually with conversations like that it's written in an engine that i've not really heard of before it's called the impact engine Hmm. uh which is a quote has one very striking advantage in that it's very minimalistic and very easy to work from they did a great job with it um from screenshots i was worried that it was going to be another kind of stiff looking rpg maker slash unity game but watching it in action especially with some of the bosses the bosses look really good i think and it is really well animated as well like not just in the way it looks but um like there's less kind of uh the bosses are obviously like a lot of them are bigger than you and there's less kind of like uh what would you call it like um uh when like when they're attacking you there's less kind of like pauses in between their movements um and it, the whole thing just flows really well even if it doesn't like necessarily run that well on the switch it still looks really nice Oh, does it have problems running on the Switch? Yeah. Um, so one of the big things is that it's got like this kind of like menu lag, but also just when you're running around the open world, it can t- temporarily like freeze for a couple of seconds before like catching you up with uh. where you are. It's a real shame because otherwise that thing looks really good. That is too bad. Yeah, it's that old Switch curse, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I can't speak to other platforms like PS4 or Xbox One or whatever. You hope that it works a lot better on those platforms it's a little too bad when it comes to nintendo switch because that would seem this that would seem to be the ideal platform for this game right? i was gonna say did you yeah. play it on switch here oh yeah yeah i played it on switch okay like, so the, it's, it's bearable platform. right yeah yeah bearable bearable hopefully like fingers crossed there's a patch in the works but the yeah. Switch is definitely a place to play it it could happen i guess <laughs> i guess we'll see <laughs> they've done a pretty good job of supporting it to this point uh, so yeah, uh, CrossCode, pretty surprising little game, nevertheless, uh, coming out on consoles for the first time. This will be the first time a lot of people are really aware of this game. Uh, it seems like a very meaty game at about 30 hours. It could go as deep as 80 hours oh, yeah. if you That's decide crazy. to do yeah. absolutely everything, which nah. makes me feel exhausted <laughs> just thinking about <laughs> Yeah, I feel my age when I hear 80 hours. Yeah, well... <laughs> I'm still playing Persona 4. Okay. 4 or 5? 4. Or 5. 5. I'm oh, st- good for you. I'm still playing Persona 4 in my heart. In your heart? <laughs> That's not the same thing, Kat. I know. You gotta get out of that pyramid, Kat. Yeah, so CrossCode, one of a handful of really good indie RPGs joining, I suppose there's not- like Darkest Dungeon, which kind of runs better on PC. Oh, God. And Moonlighter. Oh, Moonlighter's all right. Show. I feel like Moonlighter I just couldn't really latch onto. I like the concept, but something about the execution didn't click with me. I don't know if Children of Morta has come out on Switch yet. I think it was going. it's going to at a certain point. That's another, like, kind of underrated recent indie kind of gem. And then there's Indivisible, which is weirdly disappointing. <laughs> yeah, <that was laughs> did you just yawn? <laughs> did you play Did you pl- Did you play Indivisible, Cat? I did. It didn't really hold my attention. Yeah, so as a Valkyrie profile fan, it wasn't what you were looking for. The problem with the problem with games like Indivisible is that they focus on the combat, but don't really understand why Valkyrie profile worked as a mm. game. Why mm. like why it was really special and really interesting. So they the combat was actually kind of one of the worst parts of Valkyrie profile. So people are like, we're gonna be like Valkyrie profile, and then they create a game that's actually kind of boring. 
<laughs> I enjoyed it. Like I, it's not an extremely long game. I like the art style. Uh, I like the writing. It was, it was fun. I enjoyed it for what it was. But it, I don't think it, it landed on my like best of list last year. Hmm. I'm really looking forward to uh, Eastward. Eastward looks really good. It keeps like popping in and out of my field of vision, but that looks really nice. I'm looking forward to that very much. Cosmic Star Heroin. That was a good, like, I know we kind of fell off that, but like, I think, first of all, the graphics and sound on that game are superb. And I think the concept was really, really good. It's just the timing, the flow needed a little bit of tuning up. So if there's something else coming out on the Switch from Z-Boyd, I'm definitely looking forward to it. All right. Final thoughts on CrossCode. Reasons to recommend it. Uh, I think it's very pretty. And mm, more so than your typical 2D sprite-based game. Um, it's not your typical ARPG. I would say that it's pretty complex. Uh, it in- introduces elements like elemental weaknesses, has some really extensive skill trees. I don't know how deep you got into those elements uh, here. And uh, if you're into puzzles, I guess that it has those. And Yay. I think that the meta commentary on the MMO genre is kind of like the cherry on top, the nice little twist that makes this game especially fun and kind of interesting, especially if you're an MMO fan. Yeah, way more than we meets the eye with this game. And like we're coming up to the perfect time now. Nothing's really like coming out at the moment. Yeah, pick it up. It'll last you for a good while. All right. The Blood God recommends CrossCode, folks. <laughs> All right. There you go. We got the check mark, the big bloody check mark. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on the show, Hiran. And let's continue on to the track of the week. Okay, Nadia, it's time to do our track of the week, in which every single week we pick a track from an RPG that we want to highlight because music is so important to how we enjoy our favorite role-playing games. And this week, we have a track from CrossCode. See if you recognize this song. Okay, that's the song, The Path of Justice, from the CrossCode original game soundtrack. And Nadia, I'm mostly highlighting this track this week because I think it's kind of indicative of a direction that a lot of indie RPGs like to go, which is definitely this super high-energy feel, uh, intentionally trying to evoke memories of 16-bit RPGs and that kind of thing. And it usually works, even if it ends up being a little bit simple. Yeah, I definitely like this track, um, The Path of Justice. It actually reminds me, name and format alike, a little bit of Battle with the True Hero from Undertale, which has a very striking introduction and does give the impression that you are battling with a, a true hero. And of course, Battle with the True Hero is by Toby Fox, Undertale, which we have talked many, many times in the past about his music. And it is extremely inspirational, so with good reason. And I could see like a lot of indie RPG developers taking cues from him, and that's pretty okay with me. Seems like the kind of music that I might have heard in a Tri-Ace RPG or that kind of thing. <laughs> the good old days. It also kind of reminds me of a 90s anime a little bit. I, I think the strongest part of the song is the, the build-up. The Yeah, that's, like, that's really enjoyable. And then the bit that comes out after that definitely reminds me of a 90s anime. 
Yeah, so it, it's a good combination. It's definitely being spurred into action and get up, get up off your ass and do something, sort of thing. Path of justice. Yes, you are tra- you are treading the path of justice. You are on a pilgrimage for justice. The the composer is pretty interesting because they are based in Japan. Um, they go by the Twitter handle Intero VGM, and they uh, not only compose the soundtrack, uh, they compose like sixty four tracks for this thing, which is wow. That's a lot of tracks, I gotta say. I commend your energy. Uh, they were also very involved in seemingly a lot of the marketing and the creation of the game. Um, for example, uh, they were talking on Twitter about grabbing a lot of the early screenshots and everything, and they were pointing out how uh, this one stood out to me. I helped make screenshots for CrossCode, including this one, many years ago when we launched the early access version. I tried to do things you would not normally see in an RPG Maker game, e.g. running diagonally, having enemies follow you and jump over gaps, etc. So, and, and it worked. Like, it does look really nice. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, it is quite different from RPG Maker games, which I have played many in my day. Some are actually quite good, but yeah, you can tell that uh, CrossCode is definitely a level above. Yeah, I think what really separates CrossCode is that it's not your typical RPG maker game, right? I mean, it goes the extra mile in terms of the depth of the design, um, how nice the the actual graphics are, and the soundtrack's really nice. Soundtrack's really nice. Um, I actually have one really funny story about an RPG maker uh, game that I was set to review for some reason, even though it was obviously a joke. It was called Nether Novel as a play on Undertale. And it was so generic, nobody bothered to, like, change any of the sprites or anything. It was all, like, off-the-shelf sprites. And they were all just saying stupid things and doing stupid things. And I talked to a dog, like, one of the copy-paste dogs that, like, you can just get from the game's assets. And it said to me, anyone who doesn't think that anyone can learn to play guitar from Pablo Honey is the best song can fuck right off. And I just never forgot being told to fuck right off by a dog in an RPG Maker game. Well, that's why RPG the RPG Maker is a great democratizer. The it game really that is. lets you put a dog in there and have them uh, tell you to be fucked right off. Comment on Radiohead songs. <laughs> I swear to you. I don't know why that was so funny. It just it stuck with me forever. All right. That is our track of the week. We'll be back next week with another new track. And let's continue on to the mailbag, Nadia. Last week, we did the console RPG quest for the original Xbox, and people had a fair amount of commentary and thoughts on uh, on our discussion about that game. Uh, my favorite, though, is Drachmalia saying, Doritos, 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 indeed. <laughs> I don't even remember saying Doritos, Doritos, Doritos. Thanks for the periodic reminder that I still need to finish KOTOR, throw it on the pile. Man, there's so many Acts of the Blood God memes in this one comment. I really like it. Yeah, and uh, congratulations on your pile. Don't let it get too big. Mine's already, like, the size of my house. Well, I mean, CrossCode, throw it on the pile, right? Oh, it's totally on the pile. I mean, and it's like, oh, I want to play Switch version of uh, Trails of Cold Steel 3. That's a big one on the pile. One of the reasons I get depressed when I'm playing a game, like, when I'm grinding through a game like Pokemon is I'm like, I should be playing another RPG right now. Yeah, when you're playing with the older RPGs that you're just kind of playing for the pleasure of it, it's like, uh, I should be working. Put down the damn video game. Play a video game. Not only that, when I'm like playing this game and I'm grinding, it really, I don't feel like I'm actually working toward anything. Like I'm not working toward the completion of this game. I've already completed it. So it's like at this point, I'm like, I should be playing something else. But yeah, 
<sighs> sometimes I just need to be nice to myself. You re- that, that's it. You really sometimes need to be nice to yourself, especially in this current environment. It's not an easy time to be alive. I, I got into a, kind of an extended debate with Super Shinobi in the comments. Basically, they took issue with my assertion that the Xbox was the first modern RPG and inserted instead that maybe it started with the PS1. And they said, quote, The spotlight already moved away from arcade games with the PS1. It was the Saturn that, in contrast, represented a remnant of the arcade era. Even Sega had to rebrand the Saturn in Japan as an RPG and action-adventure system because the early emphasis on arcade ports had failed commercially. Blockbuster action-adventure games like Resident Evil, MGS, and Tomb Raider were already a core part of the PS1's library, and platformers still played a large part in the PS2's library, and it wasn't until the PS3 that Naughty Dog upgraded from Jax to Uncharted and Sucker Punch left Sly Cooper for Infamous. And one part of the thesis that I partially agree with is that online gaming began with the PS2 and Xbox, but it was still incredibly niche. Xbox Live had 2 million users in 2004, according to Wikipedia, which is only about 1% of that console generation's total user base. The mass market shift to online games took place in the next gen, the next console era so we got into a lot of uh, debates my my point was that the ps1 was kind of an an interesting tweener because it relied so heavily still on games like crash bandicoot and spyro and twisted metal warhawk especially early on yes games like final fantasy 7 and such were a big deal but at the same time rpgs were kind of a you know a tale as old as time in some ways like final fantasy 7 as bold as it was in, in its storytelling actually wasn't that much of a leap over Final Fantasy VI, just graphically, you know? Yeah, it was mostly about the graphics. I remember that was one thing that disappointed me when I first played Final Fantasy VII, and I was like, wow, these characters don't even have, like, relevant skills. Like, Final Fantasy VI, everyone had a, a skill attached to their character, like uh, Sabin was a monk, he could do monk moves, uh, Cyan was a samurai, he could do the samurai stuff, but they didn't really have that in Seven. Not to mention, it was down from, like, from like five characters and, and four characters to three characters. That was that was a big hit. I just think that the reason that I would call the Xbox one of the first true mo- truly modern consoles is because it was where PC and console really did truly begin yes. to blend together. And consoles started to be seen on sort of an equal footing with PC in a lot of ways in terms of the games that were being made for it. And yeah, there were PC ports on the console on previous generations but i would not say that they they really felt like an afterthought in so many ways so they did and they were stripped down in many ways as well like the there's a whole story a whole history of doom being ported to playstation saturn uh all the consoles at the time it was it was a real rodeo so if you ever want to read some game history look into how different versions of doom wound up on different systems i just don't think you can overstate the importance and the impact of halo um, on the way that people understood first-person shooters on console. Like, it really was a game-changer. When I think back to the PlayStation One li- One's library, yeah, I had games like Resident Evil. But more importantly, like, it was Metal Gear Solid, a game that came out in 1999 that really truly showed me the future of what an, a cinematic action-adventure game could look like with its heavy emphasis, like, the way that it presented its story, the way that it presented... Uh, its action set pieces, the way that it used uh, in-engine cutscenes as expertly as it did. Like, that game legit blew my mind, and I had never really seen anything like that on that generation to that point. 
when we were already four years into that generation. And it was a signifier of what was to come in the next generation and what really, like Metal Gear Solid was the first wave and it really came into fruition in the next generation, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. All right, so Super Shinobi, you're wrong. <laughs> no, just kidding. That was <laughs> actually a really good um, observations and I really enjoyed uh, so having we're not that gonna, discussion. We're not going to hit the button that disposes you into the pit of alligators. <laughs> uh, Skyward Shadow says, yeah, Nadia... Wild Arms rules. Legend of it Dragoon totally sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I had someone on Twitter say I made them sad because I said both Legend of Dragoon and uh, Legend of Legea sucked sucked wind, I think was the term I used. Uh, they also said, I didn't own an Xbox, but I was a huge PC gamer and a Bioware fan, so I split the cost of KOTOR when it came out with a friend who played it on the system and then lent me the system to play it. It was a generation-defining game, but I feel like people overlook that it's basically Neverwinter Nights with the camera moved over the shoulder and it has lightsabers. The gameplay <laughs> systems, choices, etc., all carried over right from the Neverwinter Nights games. You can see the D&D serial numbers if you look closely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was very much in that mold. But a lot of people hadn't played those games, you know. Exactly. So, to a lot of people, it was probably their, new, their first experience with it and... Star Wars license was a thing that drew them in. Yeah, like for a lot of people at the time, like D and D is a lot more accessible now. But at the time, D and D was strictly nerd stuff. Where oh yeah, Star Wars was much more mass market, much more mass appeal, and so it's no wonder that people were like, "Hey, this RPG thing is pretty good." Hey, lightsabers! I was pretty disappointed in Microsoft at the time, as I felt like they were abandoning PC gamers, treating them like second class citizens. I did not buy my own copy of Portor when it came out. I did buy my own copy of Kortor when I came out on PC a few months later. Fable was fun enough when I eventually played it, but it was also very forgettable IMO, aside from the silly romance options. Though I've seen other people who are like, I love Fable. Fable is so good. I think somebody said Fable is one of the best games ever made. Somebody tweeted this at me. So there you go. There you go. You definitely have your Fable stands out there. Yeah. All right. That's about a wrap for the console rpg quest for the xbox next time we're going to be talking about the nintendo ds and hopefully we'll have a special guest for this one so i'm looking forward to it. it's a kind of a watershed moment in gaming history i want to say mm-hmm, definitely the, the ds is a very interesting system because people point to how successful it was and how it was it was absolutely humongous but i wonder how much money nintendo lost because it was so bad with piracy holy moly everyone laughed at me for actually buying my games <sighs> Yeah, well, I'm sure that's a topic that we can cover in the episode. Looking forward uh, to it. But it was also the moment where Nintendo put in its thesis into practice of not trying to match the graphics of other consoles, having that yes. special something, right? Yeah, it was it was a great system, but we'll get into that. Yes, uh, we actually have our schedule kind of like kind of locked in for the next few weeks. I mean, next week we're going to be doing our Paper Mario review. We're going to have Andre from Game Explain on to be talking about us with us about that and then the week after we'll be doing our nintendo ds console rpg quest and then the week after that i'm kind of hoping that we can do a special episode on rpg speed running so oh uh, yeah i'm yeah i love rpg speed runs so if you're an rpg speed runner and you want to be on the show get in touch with me uh the speed runners i've been reaching out to haven't been talking to me come on guys come on guys respond <laughs> fast you're supposed to be fast yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> Exit Blood God is a U.S. gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Make sure to follow us on all of the social media channels. Listen to Branching Narratives, which is also on all of the podcatchers of your choice. And subscribe to our newsletter, which is over on the main site. We'll be back next week 
same RPG times, same RPG channels. And for Nani and myself, thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy. Happy adventuring. <laughs>